With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. KCAA is your CNBC news affiliate. We're the station that gets down to business. Can you see the video? Okay. Hey, everyone. This is Smart Health Talk Radio Show, and I'm your host, Elaine McFadden. And in case you've never listened to our show before, I am a registered dietitian with a master's in public health and into healthy eating, things like fresh organic food, homegrown, and I'm going to be planting these organic seeds right in my own backyard here, and I hope you're going to be getting some gardening going too. Now, we have a really special video for you today because we have a scientist, Dr. Kenneth Portier. He's actually serving on the EPA Scientific Advisory Board that's making a decision on whether glyphosate is cancer-causing or not. He actually joined us on the show about a year and a half ago because he is, on, he is one of the main scientists for the American Cancer Society. And when the World Health Organization came out and said they thought that glyphosate in Roundup was cancer-causing, which is our number one most used pesticide in the world, then I tell you, just things started to fly all over the place. And, of course, Monsanto did everything they could to discredit the study. So what's happening right now with the EPA and whether they decide whether or not this is cancer-causing or not is huge. And Dr. Kenneth Portier, who was on our show, is on that panel. He's the only person that has not worked for Monsanto. He's the only bipartisan person on there. And this is what he had to say. Go ahead, Brandon, play our video. The record. Inland Talk Express. Welcome to Smart Health Talk with your host, Elaine. Okay. You got the video, Brandon? Take a walk on the wild side. Will the birds and the bees survive? Right before me. Take a walk on the wild side. 
Welcome to Smart Health Talk with your host, Elaine McFadden. Welcome, everyone, to Smart Health Talk radio show. Hey, if you're listening to me, then you're at the place to be. How about that? Yeah. Uh, I tell you, we got a show lined up for you, and it's going to be great. I am so excited about our guest today from the American Cancer Society. That's right. He's here to give us some really important information uh, this guy um, is so well qualified uh, to educate us today on some of the, the topics I wanted to discuss, which, first of all, is a big, um, a big well, when you, when the World Health Organization comes out and says that we think the most used pesticide in the world is cancer-causing or probably could cause cancer, if you want to be more technical... Uh, you know, kind of everyone has to kind of stop and go, what? You know, what did they just say? Uh, should we be listening to this? Is this important? And I can't wait to find out what uh, Dr. Portier's, uh, Dr. Kenneth Portier's um, opinion is on all of this. And so we're going to be going over some different questions with him and finding out what he has to say. And to me, this is like really important because he is, uh, with the American Cancer Society, and of course, you know, this is a, you know, it's probably, I would guess, like an international organization that uh, we really look to for um, guidance on these kind of things, and so it'll be really interesting to hear what he has to say. And uh, of course, Halloween is uh, coming up here this weekend, and we have so many great ideas on our website, smarthealthtalk.com. If you want to try and make this a organic Halloween, I tell you, we have all these great ideas, little tiny mini uh, cho- organic chocolates, uh, from that to yummy earth organic lollipops, um, just like some nice little hard candy. Remember those old kind of root beer uh, hard candies? Um well, Yummy Earth has some of those too, but some of the best chocolates and little candy bars like the Ocho brand that is reminds you of like a Three Musketeers or a Snickers, but only organic. So you, we don't have to do without these things. And Surf Sweets, um, oh my gosh, they make some chews that are like Starburst or some Cocoa Chews that when I open that bag of the Starburst type candies... Um, I, I, it took me like 15 minutes <laughs> through that thing, and I didn't want to share with anybody. It was so good. So I really, um, I'd like you to go to our website, look under resources, and you'll, we have about 10 pages of different kinds of treat ideas, and I tell you, it feels really good, and think about, you know, the kind of influence you can have by having those in a bag of a child and having a mom like learn about these candies for the first time. So you can actually be a positive influence. And of course, uh, organic candies have no GMOs, no pesticides, no chemicals. They're not substituting um, real ingredients for fake ingredients, which you see in a lot of gummies, but like Tasty Brand, which is one of our very favorites, I have compared their ingredients to like a, a Kellogg's type product with Spider-Man on the front 
And there is no comparison because um, I, I'm just looking at a long list of words that I don't even know what the heck they are versus Tasty Bran. I can definitely tell you what those ingredients are. And they're even like in Target. And I know that uh, Costco carries a lot of things or like a local store like our Clark's Nutrition here. Uh, those are the kind of places that you can find these besides, you know, the big stores that maybe you heard of like Whole Foods. So anyway, I just want to encourage everyone to try to make this an organic Halloween. Okay. Well, I really want to get to our guest because he's calling us all the way from back east. It's like 10 o'clock back there, and that's pretty nice of him to be calling in at 10 o'clock and joining us today. And I want to get right to it because we got some great questions for him, and I think we're all going to learn a lot. So please stay with us. And if you want to watch us on Ustream, where I am calling in on Ustream right here, hey, everybody. I have a few things I'm going to show you probably a little bit during the show um, as well as my kombucha, which I guess I said the word wrong last week, and this is actually kombucha tea, and you make it with a SCOBY, which is a bacterial type of uh, kind of round patty kind of thing that you put in water with sugar, not water, but while water, tea, and sugar, and it makes a great bacterial drink to help heal uh, some of the problems that we're having with our digestive systems from eating all of these pesticides or killing our good bacteria. But what's interesting is they're actually trying to take this off the shelf because they say it has too much alcohol in it. So I don't know. I've never really got a buzz off of it. But if I start giggling a lot while I'm drinking my uh, kombucha here, you know why. Uh, I really can't understand that. It's such a great food, a drink to have. I could consider it a food, too, uh, because it is so satisfying and it gives you so much. But uh, I can't understand why they would want to take that off the shelf. It's something I want to look into a little bit more. But first, I just want to get right to it. I want to welcome our guest, uh, Dr. Kenneth Portier, and I hope I said that right. Did I say it right? Oh, close enough. It's Portier. Portier, okay. You can tell. Is that French? Not Louisiana. Oh, okay. But also, like, it's kind of because you're from Louisiana that there were, like, some, you know, French people there back from when they immigrated in. And so you you probably have descendants that go way back, huh? Oh, into the mid-1700s, last time I checked. See, I just knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I, reading about you, um, how would you prefer that I call you? Ken. Okay, Ken. Uh, thank. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll just be calling you Ken today, and uh, but this is uh, Dr. Kenneth Porter, everybody. Portier, excuse me, and he's the vice president of statistics and evaluation center at the American Cancer Society Corporate Center in Atlanta, Georgia. That's right, down in Atlanta. Is that where you live in Atlanta? Uh, yeah, today rainy Atlanta, but it's uh, yeah, I live in in the city. Nice well, place. I've been to Atlanta. And I've been, I went to a really great, great Greek place, and I am trying to remember the name of that Greek place, but oh gosh, and the people in Atlanta are just so special. They, um, they're just so friendly, and I love them. I had a great time in Atlanta, and it's a beautiful city. And uh, boy, you've just got a, a bio here about a mile long. <laughs> I tell you, you've done a lot in your lifetime. Um, Affiliate professor of biostatistics at the School of Public Health and being a public health person myself, uh, I, I thought, oh, that's something we have in common. I have that. Well, I, I, I started out 
in my training in North Carolina in the School of Public Health, and I've been in the area of uh, public health and environment and environmental health and agriculture, and uh, I'm hoping I'll be able to answer your your questions about uh, the glyphosate and the uh, IARC report, uh, because I've, I've been involved in a lot of these kinds of things. Well, I'm hoping, too, because I know this is like a complicated issue. Uh, you know, there's so many things that went on with this pesticide, you know. And when we look at at the magnitude of the use of this pesticide, and I remember because as, as much as I hate to admit it, I was selling organic produce like a while back. It was over 35 years ago. And that's when I first started learning about pesticides on food. And for me, it just didn't make sense because I was raised where my grandmother had a farm. And, you know, she put her coffee grounds out there and all this stuff from her kitchen. And, you know, they really weren't out there spraying a lot of pesticides on things. And I just know how good that food was. That was like, so that's why I started, when I started going and selling produce, I could tell that there was a difference. And some people try to say, oh, you know, organic doesn't taste the same. But I used to actually go to the farm and get fresh produce right from the farmer. And then I went to downtown San Diego and I'd pick up produce from there. And I'm sorry, but there, you know, there really was a difference in my opinion. And I, you know, I want the best, man. I want to, you know, I want something that like tastes good. I, I know what a real good peach tastes like. And that's, that's supposed to be something that they know, uh, they know back in Atlanta too, right? <laughs> they have a few good peaches here. That's for sure. Yeah. But, and I, you know, but unfortunately, I don't think very many of them are grown organically. I know. Uh, that's, see, that's what the, the shift has been. And that's really a shame because, uh, if you've ever had that perfect peach, you know that, you know, it has a, a certain texture to it. You know, you bite into it. The juice, like, kind of drips down your face. And and it's, you know, I, when I started reading more about it, there actually is, um, there, there is, like, a, a reason that a peach can have a certain texture. Because if you have really healthy soil, you can build the cellular walls inside the peach stronger so that it doesn't have the pithy taste as much and it has that that taste of the perfect peach and once people have that they always remember it and I think you know you strive to find that peach again you're hoping every peach that you buy and bite into is that peach that you remember with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I just want, I want our kids, I want... I want people to be able to have access to that kind of food again. And I feel like when I go to the farmer's market, I find food like that. And I can tell that it's fresh. And I feel like there's a lot we don't know about food. 
as well. Um, we're just starting to learn. I had someone telling me uh, not too long ago about how we're, we're starting to learn about how long some of the nutrients in food last. Because some of them are more vulnerable than others, right? Like the nutrients and storage and transportation, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and so when you eat something like right after it's picked versus, you know, being transported across the country, stored in a controlled refrigeration um, unit, you know, for who knows, it could be weeks, it could be months even, there's no way that it has that same taste and probably not the same amount of enzymes and antioxidants and nutrients in there like vitamin C. And so that's what I'm going for. You know, I want, as you get older, you only get so many calories <laughs> and, you know, are you gain weight really easy? And so I want all those calories to count as far as like, I want to get as much nutrition bang for my buck for every calorie that I get. And I want to, I want to be healthy. I want to, I want to live as long as I can because I'm feeling pretty good right now. And I'm so excited to have my education. I was a late bloomer, went back, you know, until I was like 41, 42. And so I feel like, you know, I'm just getting started here and I want some more time to get out there and try to make a difference in the world. And, you know, you can't do that when you're sick. And I think that's one of the things I really look at, too, from that point of view, is when, you know, we're not getting food that has the true amount of nutrition potential that could be in there, uh, that people are missing out on that. And therefore, that that could affect their health and it could affect uh, their risk of disease. And I don't want people to get sick if they don't have to get sick. I, I'm just a big believer in prevention, which I think that's probably something we have in common. Yep. So you were asking me about this, this WHO report on what, what most of your listeners probably know as Roundup, but the chemical, we call it glyphosate. And, you know, the, the report that just came out basically said, you know, glyphosate has the potential to cause cancer. And you, you asked me what my thoughts are about this report. And I was thinking my first thought is, well, reading these reports is an acquired case, and I wouldn't recommend it to your book club. But there's a lot of good information in these reports. Because they really review everything about this product, you know, everything health-wise about this product. So they don't just look at cancer, uh, and but but cancer is something that they're always interested in, uh, and clearly they're a cancer agency. I mean, that's the ultimate health effect that they're concerned about. But nowadays they also look at the potential for these chemicals to cause uh, reproductive effects in, in women of childbearing age, to cause developmental effects in uh, the developing fetus or, the, or, or you know, the, uh, the very young, uh, to cause changes in the hormones in the body. It's, these are, as you said, these reports have gotten very complicated 
because we know so much more about what what it means to be healthy and how things can go wrong. So there's a lot more places to look for issues, for problems. And all those things that you say, Ken, are all the things from a public health standpoint that I'm passionate about. Because uh, women, you know, that are pregnant, and when we start increasing their risk of having a birth defect. And I used to work for WIC for a period of time. And I know that when they gave these women uh, food, that we, we could lower the risk of a premature birth. And one premature birth could cost over a million dollars even. Just one premature birth. So it's like, how, why not feed all these women, you know, some healthy food and instead of having one premature birth, you know, and preventing that one premature birth. And, you know, the fact that we're playing Russian roulette with birth defects, and it was my understanding that pesticides in general are the number one cause of birth defects. Is that correct? Well, you have to... You know, uh, these, these federal and international agencies kind of lump a bunch of stuff under the label pesticide. So, for example, Roundup, we know, is a herbicide. It's designed to kill plants, whereas insecticides are designed to kill insects and bugs, and fungicides are supposed to kill funguses, and rodenticides kill rodents. Uh, more I'm of the confused. Issues. I get so confused about that, Ken. <laughs> well, they're all sides, right? They're they're they're, <laughs> they're they're meant to kill. They're toxins. They're designed to kill something, right? That's that's so the they're killers, right? They're killers. Realize all of these things were designed for a particular purpose, and and that purpose is to eliminate something that we call consider a pest or someone considers a pest, right? But when you start talking about uh, birth, potential birth effects, developmental and reproductive effects, and hormonal disturbance, a lot of the issues are more with the insecticides and the fungicides uh, than with the herbicides, okay? So, so Roundup, that's less of an issue here than it would be if we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, something like DDT, which is a pesticide for killing bugs. But uh, what about if it's an endocrine disruptor, which means it messes with your hormone? I'm, hormones, isn't that uh, kind of a red flag right there? Well, some of these, some of these things are endocrine disruptors. And, and for those who might not be familiar with it, endocrine disruptors, or things that might mimic a hormone in your body. So for women, that drug, when that, that chemical, when it gets in your body, might make your body think you have a little bit more estrogen. Or for men, it may be testosterone, or what we call androgen. Or it may affect your thyroid, right? The hormones that, that, that impact your thyroid. So a lot of these pesticides have some mild endocrine-disrupting effect, uh, very small. They, they kind of measure it 
against the chemical that's in birth control pills. Okay, which 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 you know your birth the birth control pills that women take is is estrogen with some a little bit of progesterone. That estrogen is uh, a hormone for for all of us. Actually, men even have a little bit of estrogen. Women have a lot more. So a lot of these pesticides, they'll compare it to this this kind of pure estrogen. And they use numbers like one ten thousand of the impact of uh, uh, the well, it, it was, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it was my understanding that uh, small amounts, when you're talking about uh, endocrine disruptors, can actually be more toxic uh, than large amounts because of actually that very thing that you were talking about, the fact that it is mimicking hormones. And so it's able to do that even more. And then also I was like, you know, really concerned about things like how it chelates different minerals that are critical for all different kinds of things and not just hormones, but like neurotransmitters and, uh, you know, being able to make vitamin B12 and, uh, you know, interfere with, you know, things like if you're chelating iron, magnesium, cobalt, selenium, zinc, and sulfur, I mean, these things are related to serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, epinephrine, um, being able to, uh, you know, even, uh, uh, you know, repair damage in cells. Like I know selenium is extremely important in DNA repair. And so if, you know, these, these were like some of the other things that were really of a big concern to me related to uh, this glyphosate and, you know, interfering with the function of like the cytochrome um, P450CYP enzymes, you know, (laughs) that break down toxins in our body. Yeah. You know, so I just feel like it's, you know, when we talk about, okay, well, it's an endocrine disruptor, but there's really, you know, like you said, we're learning more and more about these the, the mechanisms in our body on how these different pesticides work. And I think another really big thing that um, was important to me is the fact that when they test, and we're talking about glyphosate, but the pesticide isn't just glyphosate. It, it has like other, you know, when they do their research, they're doing it on glyphosate, but but actually, the pesticide has a lot of other things in it that when you mix the glyphosate with all these other chemicals in there, that you create like a super pesticide. And so I just feel like, you know, there's like all these different things going on. And then, you know, the, the fact that glyphosate is a, also classified as an antibiotic and the whole gut bacteria issue to me is huge. Yeah. That was interesting. You know, you asked me that question, and I, I thought, well, I read the whole report, the IREC report. There was no discussion about that. But then I, I, I looked at your link, and there's some research this year, and, and I thought it was very interesting, and it was a fairly good study where they exposed bacteria first to glycosate, and then they exposed it to antibiotics, and they showed that the response to the antibiotic was less uh, once it was exposed to glyphosate than 
uh, if it had not been exposed to glyphosate. And I thought that was fascinating. I did a little bit more research, and it, it's interesting because it turns out that the, the, you know, we talked about at the beginning that the pesticides are designed to do certain things. So glyphosate, which is the pure chemical, not Roundup, which is the mixture of the of yes, the yes, ingredients that's what I'm plus a bunch about. of other stuff to help it flow and spray and stick to the plants and do those other things. But the pure glyphosate has an interesting action because it's designed to shut down a very specific, uh, I'm trying to get the, the, the right name here. Well, I know that that's how it kills, like, the weeds in that is because it, like, chelates these minerals and it keeps the plant from getting different minerals. And we're finding that it's it's really doing that to us, too. Actually, what it does is it shuts down the synthesis of uh, what's called an aromatic... Uh, amino acid. Amino acid, right? And And... So it's going into the into the cell and and shutting down this process. Well, it turns out, and 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 this is something that's primarily in plants. It's it's not something that we as humans and most mammals have. So there's not a similar amino amino acid pathway that we have that's in plant. That's why they thought it was so great to use. Uh, glyphosate because it was very targeted to a process that's unique to plants. But it turns out it's not unique to plants. There is some of that in some bacteria, not all bacteria, and some other Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I found another study where they actually go in and talk about the... The, the mechanism, what glyphosate actually does, and why that antibiotic action would not be unexpected in 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 bacteria or the microbes. But so what kind of yeah, what kind of quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of glyphosate to actually initiate that kind of process in the bacteria and microbes? Um, well, I guess so your concern that, was yeah. whether that you know, happened in our gut microbe, and and that's an unanswered question. Well, I think, you know, we look at people's bodies and, you know, we see that they're having, you know, like that one uh, study that, that showed the direct relationship between uh, the glyphosate and the GMO Use, uh, use, uh, and the amount of diseases that we're seeing, including different cancers and other things like autism and even like hypertension and renal failure, all these different things. And you see there's a direct correlation by, by the amount that we're using. And I know that Dr., um, Dr. Hansen, uh, from, 
Consumer Reports, he he said that where what's happening too, and I know that they just gave him permission, like a it was like a year or two ago, to increase the concentration of glyphosate in the product because it be, keeps becoming resistant. So they keep having to up the concentration. And so, and plus they want to not be able to have to spray as much. So it's easier for the farmer. And so because of that, they, when we're looking even at the glyphosate that they were testing, you know, back in the early eighties of which, you know, I, I sent you that, form that was from the EPA where it said right there that they concluded it was cancer causing back then and somehow they flipped and changed their mind on that. We're not even really talking about the same glyphosate. The glyphosate now is like many times stronger because they've allowed them to increase the toxicity uh, many times over the years because it keeps on, they keep on needing a stronger version and even now, they uh, it's still it's it's starting to lose its effectiveness. So now they're coming out next year with this Enlist Duo, where they're combining the glyphosate and the 2,4-D, which was the precursor to Ancient Orange that they were using. And it you know, like I said, it may not be exactly the same as what they were using in Vietnam, but that stuff is considered one of the most toxic, you know, herbicides or pesticides, whatever you want to call it, uh, that we have out there. And and the fact that they're making uh, GMOs that are resistant to both these things means that they played with the plant even more. They tinkered with it and put these other GMOs in there. And then we're going to be spraying these, a mixture of these two pesticides. and. You know, the, the tests that they do are like three months long, and that is not enough time. When you, even Dr. Seralini, when he did his research, he said that after three months, that the rats that he tested with the Roundup and the um, the GMO corn, they they looked like they were fine. There was no symptoms whatsoever. But in, after a year to two years, uh, where he did a full two years there, a lot of things started changing. And those rats ended up with these gigantic tumors. And we're talking about cancer here. You know? <laughs> and these rats were exhibiting, you know, giant tumors. So, you know, we're looking at like three months worth of research. And people are not just eating this stuff for three months. They're eating it every day, year after year. So, what do you what are what are your thoughts on that? Well, you covered a lot of things. Uh, one one of the misperceptions I want to clarify for you is please the, the herbicide two four D is considered very safe. You can look around it. It's the other product that was in Agent Orange, which was the two four five T herbicide that has been banned in the U.S. Uh, because to, to, to build that herbicide, it produced dioxin as part of the production. And it was the dioxin, which are known carcinogens, known bad agents, that caused them to ban the 245T. But 24D is 
still a very safe. Uh, it's hard to find anything about 24, uh, 24D that's bad. 245T is the one that was causing the problems okay. with Agent Orange. I, I do remember that now. You, you reminded me. But um, I would have to say, uh, in response to that, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry if I'm like pushing because I know other people out there would come up with the same argument as me, or at least, you know, have the question. And I want, I want your professional opinion. I want to understand this stuff because um, from, it's my understanding that we, you know, when we're talking endocrine disruptors here, um, we're not, we haven't really done research where we're really looking at this and on the toxicity of those and, you know, what's really going on when exposed. And, you know, like I said, you know, we're, you know, we say, oh, this is safe. Well, you know, again, we're looking at three-month-old studies. You know, three months was the longest period that they test. And it was also my understanding that, you know, Monsanto doesn't let people test their product. Uh, they don't want people to test their product because they don't want them finding stuff out about it uh, that they are not in control over. So when we say that, you know, these things are safe, again, we're kind of going back to what Monsanto's telling us. And we haven't really looked at endocrine disruptors per se as like what is actually happening in the body with an endocrine disruptor. And I just feel like when we're looking at children and pregnant women and babies who um, don't have the capacity to really break down these toxins in their body, and we when we do safety tests, supposed safety tests in my book, uh, these are for an adult male. We, we're not even looking at mixing different pesticides. We're not looking at small children and babies and pregnant women. Uh, we're not looking at the actual endocrine disrupting mechanism um, because I, I I read where there there is none. You know there is no true measurement of an endocrine disruptor and the the, the damage that it causes. So I, I guess you well, know, it's yeah. part of that. Part of that because is because if it's an endocrine disruptor, it's mimicking the hormone. So when it gets into your body, your body says it's just like the natural hormones that it makes. Chemically, it's identical. It can't tell that that endocrine disruptor, the, at least the piece that's mimicking a hormone, is no different than the natural hormone. That's why it's able to do the process. But we know an awful lot about the mechanisms of endocrine disruption. And in fact, in the, you know, the, the, U.S. EPA, and a lot of its uh, most recent, and I mean within the last 10 or 15 years, risk assessments, they're, they're talking about, you know, knowing the mechanism of action, really understanding exactly which signaling pathways are impacted by this chemical and how that, that uh, uh, impact of that chemical, how that affecting those pathways transmits through something, you know, from from a cell signaling to the cell process to the tissue that the, that makes up those cells 
to the whole organ to the body. I mean, they're actually being able to build models that that transmit and look at that risk effect all the way through. So there's a there's a lot of science in the background that looks at it. And and the second thing you were talking about the 90 day or three month studies. Everybody agrees that that's inadequate, especially if we're going to talk about cancer, because cancer is the result of typically low-dose, long-term exposures. So when we look at data, you know, really good evidence for cancer, we're, to, we're typically talking two-year studies in rats you know, or, or mice. Uh, those are lifetime studies. We're talking about human epidemiology studies that look at some measure of lifetime exposure, not this short acute exposure that, that a, a three-month study uh, provides us with. And, and if you look at the IARC report, there's a good, they talk about five really good long-term studies that provide the, 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 the suggestion that there's a cancer effect. And those are studies for which the, the, the biological understanding of what's going on here kind of links. It makes sense why uh, uh, non-Hopkins lymphoma might be the end result of a high-level exposure to glyphosate. They can kind of begin to tell you all the biological steps that lead to that, to the development of that cancer, and and that's the kind of thing they look at in these scientific reviews. They sit down at the table with you know these animal biologists who and physiologists who know how animals operate to an incredible level of detail, and they integrate what the toxicologist is telling them and what the experimental scientist has found in their experiments. And they integrate what they know about the test animal. So, for example, you talked about the uh, the, the study in France by uh, was it Dr. Seralini? Seralini? Yeah, that's correct. You know, I looked up that study, and it's it's very controversial, not because he did a lifetime study, but because he did it in such a way that the end results were uncertain. He did it in a, a rat, a species of rat, that produces a lot of cancers as it ages naturally. So if you don't do anything but feed the rat a nice, clean diet, at the end of two years, a lot of them are going to have evidence of cancer. So it doesn't make it the best study animal for, for doing cancer studies. And then the other thing his study did is he used a lot of doses, but few animals per dose. And the combination of that experimental design and the animal that he experimented on meant that at the end, we couldn't be sure of exactly what he found. His, his findings, by most modern statistical analysis, would be deemed inconclusive. Uh, you know, and he he's arguing no, it's much more conclusive than that. But most of the the scientific reviews, including this IARC review, 
basically said, we, we can't draw much conclusion from this study because of the way it was run and, and the animal in which it was done in. But there's other studies that have been done in good animals, animals that don't typically, for example, produce lymphoma late in life. So that if we see lymphoma or we see some other kinds of rare cancers begin to occur more often, we have a signal that says, oh, dosing this animal with this chemical uh, through its life will produce more cancer later on. <laughs> well, I also heard that, um, that some of the animals that were being used even in the control group uh, were actually being fed food that had uh, GMOs and glyphosate in it, you know, because there's so many things out there now that, you know, it's practically all GMO. So well, it, it, that's an interesting question, too, because I sit on, on science panels for the National Toxicology Program, and it's very interesting because there they have very standard protocols for doing 90-day and two-year uh, studies. They typically do a 90-day study to understand what doses are toxic, and, and then they'll do a two-year study to understand the, the dose effect and the cancer impact. And one of the things we're constantly looking at very carefully is the food, because you're absolutely right. Some of these commercial feeds, they'll put in soy, which is a natural hormone. It's got the phytoestrogens in it. So you have to be very careful if you're doing an, estrogen, you know, an endocrine disruptor study that you're not feeding them a diet that has soy in it because then you're feeding them extra hormones and it's going to mess up your study. You have to be worried about the plastic that the animals, the cages that the animals are kept in because some of them have uh, or made or coated with a, a, a plasticizer that might be a little bisphenol A. And bisphenol A, we know, is an endocrine disruptor, a very mild one, but it is an endocrine disruptor. So you have to get plastic cages that don't uh, give off bisphenol A. I mean, a good science, good scientists know this, and they're very careful in their experimental design, and they document these things when they publish their papers or publish their technical reports so that we can go back and look at that and first say, okay, this was done well, and they took care of all the extraneous things that could kind of lead us to not be able to draw a clear conclusion at the end of the study. Um, unfortunately, the, the Seralini study missed a number of those steps, and, and it caused a lot of... Uh, scientists and a lot of science panels that looked as has looked at that study to say, well, you know, it, it's interesting, but it doesn't really add, it's not confirming, you know, it's, a, it's maybe part of the evidence, but it's even not a strong part of the evidence. Because I thought after um, I went through another peer review process that they did, they did uh, agree to republish it. And that, you know, that it did get kind of the thumbs up that it was okay. Uh, but what I think, you know, since we're running out of time, I would, I would really like to ask you, like, what, 
after you know you did the review and all that why why do you think that the scientists from the World Health Organization felt that they needed to tell the world that and what would your recommendation be for people that are at high risk for cancer or that want to avoid that I mean for myself I I choose organic food um I, I just feel like why risk it, you know, that precautionary principle type of thing. It's like I, I, I don't even wanna I don't even wanna test to see, oh, is that gonna make me have cancer or not? I just as soon have food without all that stuff on it. Um and I can, so it's like why even go there? But for well, what, know, what would be you, your you recommendation? That's a really good question. And you know, here's where I'll, I'll speak for the American Cancer Society. You know, as we look at these things, and, and especially as we think about cancer prevention, we kind of try to put it in priority order. And, you know, the first thing we want to make sure you do is avoid known carcinogens, right? So the, the IR class one chemicals or the Nash, National Toxicology Program known carcinogens. Those are the ones we say stay away from. And that includes a lot of the things that are in tobacco smoke and tobacco products. You know, so right away we say really, you know, step one is avoid tobacco, avoid tobacco smoke, stay out of that. And, and what, what about those other, like, sun, the, those flavors, know? those, those flavors huh? and, and those other, you know, kind of cigarettes that people are smoking that, have like the liquid negatine and that kind of stuff. And and you know the vapor stuff, I think the 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 safety question on that is still out. A lot of people don't really know. Uh you know, it's a, it's one of those things where well we know what pure nicotine does. And if what they were actually getting is just pure nicotine, then you know we we could we could understand the impact, but there's some other things in that vapor fluid that we that concerns us. There's flavors, there's scent, there's agents that make it uh, atomized better so that it gets deeper into your lungs. And it's you know it's like these pesticides. It maybe isn't the active ingredient; it's the stuff that surrounds the active ingredient that makes the product. That concerns us because we don't know uh, what what those are because it's all proprietary. So you know, just like California's got its it, its Prop sixty five database, which which I think we should everyone should have because it tells people pay attention to this. You know, it doesn't tell you fear this or avoid this. It says pay attention. You know. Take care when you come across this ingredient, and and uh, you know I think uh, glyphosate needs to go on the California Prop 65 database because it is it has now moved over into that take care category. You know, be aware, okay. and that's the role of that Prop 65 database. But to, to get back to uh, the, the, you know, the ACS way of looking at this, and yeah. things like solar radiation, we know that causes skin cancer, so you need to kind of avoid it. Uh, too much medical radiation, you know, and 
you have to talk to your doctor about what's too much, but x-rays we know cause cancer. They also help us cure cancer, you know, so we got a double-edged sword there, but, but these are the kind of things we say think about very carefully. Uh, and now, you know, our, at, at the next level, we're starting to look at things like lifestyle, like our, you know, too many of us are overweight, and we know that we're starting to see the mechanisms of action of being overweight on our health. Uh, you know, it puts stress on our kidneys and our liver and all of our internal organs. And it, you know, uh, it, it potentially leads to diabetes, which nobody wants and has, you know, diabetes is just another thing along a, a, a bigger way of, of ill health. So we start telling people, you know, pay attention to your diet, you know, and, and keep yourself as lean as you can be. And I wish I could do it, but I'm like the rest of us, you know, a little overweight and, and trying to watch my diet and eat well. Uh, and then the, the, the thing after that is exercise. You know, and if you've got all of those things going for you, you know, you, you've never smoked. You, you've got lean body mass. You exercise on a regular basis. I think at that point, you need to start thinking about these other environmental and uh, genetic relationships to cancer. Uh, that's where we tell people, now you need to be looking at your genealogy and saying, oh, you know, is there cancer in my family? What kind of cancers are in my family? You know, what might be causing those cancers in my family? Maybe I want to avoid those particular uh, environmental exposures because I may be predisposed, uh, if I'm exposed to these things, I may be, have a slightly li higher likelihood of coming with, with, with cancer. And it's that genetic and environmental interaction that's very hard for scientists to quantify, and it's very hard to come down with good preventative prescriptions for. But but which common sense would tell us, you know, at that point we need to pay attention. But it's you know, you got to get these other things, these earlier things in order, you know, like your smoking, your body weight, your exercise. Well, I'm glad we have made some some inroads with smoking. At least we have, you know, been able to reduce that. But for me, um, my recommendation, I think, would be vegetables, you know, organic vegetables. Um, you know, if you could have one thing, you know, as far as your food goes, to really focus on those vegetables more than anything. Well, and I've been thinking that, that to me, it's, it's reducing meats and fats. Because too much of that leads to obesity. And a lot of these pesticides, herbicides, they're, they're carried and, and stored in the body in fat. So if you're eating fatty, even fatty vegetables or fatty, you know, meat, if there's pesticides around, it's likely going to be in the fat. And that's where you're getting your dose. And, of course, your body is going to take up those extra calories and try to store it somewhere. And in the process, they're going to store those pesticides, at least for a little while. 
and that gives them time to do whatever damage they they want to do. So I, that's you know, great I, advice. Personally, man. that's not ACS. Now this is Kim speaking personally. That's what I watch. I kind of watch my my fat content and try to minimize that. And I, I try to choose good fats, you know, like a good, um, well, I choose organic olive oil, you know, those kind of things. Or if I do buy meat, I buy the grass-fed uh, organic meat because I eat less meat and I add a bunch of vegetables and brown rice and things like that to my food. Instead of just having like pure meat in a taco, I add like a bunch of other vegetables to it. So I'm, I'm diluting the meat. And that's kind of one of the way my little tricks on how I do it. But I tell you, I have enjoyed this conversation so much, Ken. I hope I hope you had a good time too. <laughs> oh, it was good. I, I I, yeah, I really I really did. I mean, getting to talk to people like you is it's a thrill for me because I get to learn and I get to ask quest. I have all these questions, and I I love having someone that I can talk to that really knows what they're talking about. And it's and, just and been you know, great. Elaine, these are very complicated issues, but I found a website, and, and I don't have anything to do with this, but there's a, a, a YouTube website called Risk Bites, R-I-S-K-B-I-T-E-S, and okay. I would recommend anybody to go and, and listen to these five or six minute little presentations on a lot of the kind of topics that we talked about here. Okay. Uh, it, it makes it very clear. Okay, well, we got, I have to say goodbye, but thank you so much, Ken. Thanks for calling in this late. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. Okay, hope you'll come back. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM. I'm Tom Busby, CNBC. Investors extending yesterday's sell-off on continued jitters about the impact of President Trump's immigration ban and following a round of weaker-than-forecast earnings that came out ahead of the opening bell. At the close, the Dow down another 107 points. The Nasdaq, though, squeaking out a one-point gain right at the closing bell. As for those earnings, ExxonMobil posting its smallest quarterly profit in 18 years. That's on continued low oil and gas prices. Harley-Davidson sold fewer motorcycles. And Under Armour saw demand for Steph Curry basketball shoes fall flat. But U.S. home prices shot up nearly 5.5% in November year over year. That's on continued strong demand, but a short supply of homes on the market. And there was bad news for nutritional supplement retailer GNC. The NFL has rejected a Super Bowl ad it wanted to run, trying to revamp its image, saying it violates a league policy against advertising supplements. Tom Busby, CNBC.